the upcoming presentation is a two-man power trip of wrestling podcast production. What's up, guys? It's the phenomenal AJ Styles. You're listening to the two-man power trip. Oh, my God. This is Joey Styles, and you're listening to the two-man power trip podcast. This is Ricky the Dragon Steamboat. This is Cody Rhodes, the prince of pro wrestling, and you are listening to two-man power trip. This is Jimmy Vine, the boogie Wooker man. Tell my people my brothers and sisters, don't you dare miss John and Chad. Hey, everybody out there. This is the franchise Shane Douglas. Remember me? <laughs> well, guys, it's great to be on the show again i appreciate you asking me back so you said you were going to pinch yourself i didn't know it was that kind of show now i mean if you guys are in the privacy of your own home if you want to do these things good how you doing chad hey johnny cool man what's going on we're ready to go or what uh, hey man what's up guys this is homicide oh that's my homie homicide with a big homie club yeah that would be it hey this is david penzer and this is the two-man power trip of wrestling well, thank you, thank you. Hear me, fear me. I don't do many wrestling shows anymore, probably because I'm a bit ignorant. You guys probably know ten times more than I do. Look, me, Gene, I can't be beat. I'm the greatest of all time. And I would say that, and every kid, I, they knew they could kick the shit out of me. Great talking to you guys. It's been your pleasure. <laughs> They've worked in and around the wrestling business. They've studied thousands of hours of wrestling, and now they bring to you the greatest legends, Hall of Famers, creative minds, and both current and future stars of pro wrestling. They are Primetime Pod and Chad, the two-man power trip of wrestling. Speaking of all that, that would perhaps lead us to the World Wrestling Federation. Yeah, it's uh, here for the champ. Huh? It's not that Would you good. like some champagne? Pick it too. Pick it too. You huh? better order it now. Have your, your plan fun. B worked, but no tell what plan C is down the road. Conchetta. You asked for on, catering. You. Here it comes. Here it comes, Jameson. Oh, Jameson. Hi, Jim. Hi, Vince. Hey, how you doing, pal? Good. A little I'm independent out. source here, Jameson. I mean, how long do you think Ric Flair will reign as... Hey. Hey. You're kidding. Hold on. Do you mind oh, see man. in your conversation, Bobby Heenan? Bobby Heenan, we're on man, the air. Man, oh man, okay. We're on the air. What's the matter with you? I got, I got some bad news for everybody. What? I got some bad news for the people out there too. You know, um, concerning Jameson. You know how we, uh, how I uh, get on his case a lot and everything. Yeah. He's alive. Oh. He's alive. He should be alive. He's alive. He's alive and well, of course he is. Maneuver CPR. You're really out of good grip on him, Jim. Congratulations. Everyone should. That's right. Everyone should learn. CPR and mouth to mouth and all that. I mean, should have pulled his pants up around his neck and tightened the notch on his belt about the 13th well, hole. Hey, what kind of talk is that? Let's take you now to action from SummerSlam. El Matador squaring off against Papa Shango. Good luck to you, James. Right, this is the two-man power trip of wrestling, brought to you today and powered. 
by our good friends over at Figures Toy Company. Head on over to figurestoycompany.com and wrestlingsuperstore.com and check out the over 30 superstars in the Legends of Professional Wrestling and Rising Stars of Professional Wrestling action figure lines featuring such names as our podcast co-host, the franchise Shane Douglas, James E. Cornett, Mikey Whipwreck, the Blue Meanie, New Jack, Jerry Lynn, and so many more. You never know who's going to pop up next in this line. So head on over to WrestlingSuperstore.com and FiguresToyCompany.com and find out what's going on there next in the world of the action figure universe. But if you didn't know by now, my name is Chad, and as always, I'm joined by my tag team partner, the one and only JP John Paz. And today on this show, we welcome in somebody who quite possibly may have been the greatest foil to Bobby the Brain Heenan. He is a former WWF personality. He's an actor. He's a voiceover talent. He's done a lot of stuff in the acting world, but also in professional wrestling. You may remember him as Jameson Winger, and his name is John DiGiacomo, joining the two-man power trip today. And John, like I said, when we think about Jameson, we think about Bobby the Brain Heenan. You know, yes, he had his broadcast partners like Gorilla Monsoon and also the great uh, mean Gene Okerlund, and you think about Tony Schiavone and a lot of the comedic stylings that went on between him and the co-host that he would have on a wrestling show. But when it came to the one-on-one verbal sparring between the brain and Jameson, those were some of the funnier moments of the in-studio version of primetime wrestling, as well as when the brain was on commentary, he could go at Jameson uh, pretty hard. But Jameson... You know, if you like that that kind of comedy, Jameson always had a good one back at the brain. So like I said, they were like uh, peas and carrots, how well they work together. But you kind of dive into a little bit more into what the Jameson character was to the WWF at the time, what Vince McMahon felt Jameson brought to the table, as well as some of the things that may not have seen the light of day when it came to the Jameson character. So now, John, as I bring you in here now, it was a uh, it was a fun chat to listen to between you and Jameson. Obviously, his ties to the wrestling world continuing on as his son had a huge cameo in a match between John Cena and Bray Wyatt a few years back and uh, pretty much scared the crap out of a lot of people who uh, <laughs> thought uh, that it was one of the more supernatural things that Bray Wyatt brought to the table back when he was starting to evolve more as a character, but talk about a little bit more of this interview and what we have to look forward to today with John DiGiacomo, a.k.a. Jameson Winger. Yes, Chad. And you know what's interesting about the little Johnny and his son playing little Johnny at Extreme Rules with Bray Wyatt was that he's got a great behind-the-scenes story about how when he meets Vince McMahon again and Vince doesn't recognize him until he says something to him and then Vince obviously gives him a huge reaction. But listen to the interview for that, because that is a great, great story. And that is near the end of the interview. I just thought, like, that. wow, that is so cool. Kind of a full circle thing for Jameson. Almost a character, but obviously a Jameson, a.k.a. John, the person. So I thought that was a really cool thing. And it's funny that they brought the kid on, his son on, to be an actor on the show, but didn't realize who the dad was. I thought that was really interesting, because I would have figured, they would have brought him on because his dad was Jameson. But, you know, it was interesting. Obviously, his son is doing great, great things in the acting world, and that's how he kind of popped up. So very cool. And like you mentioned, 
a lot of great Bobby Heenan stories. Just love him playing the foil to Bobby Heenan. It was like the great heel in Heenan and, and the great subtle babyface in Jameson who would always have funny one-liners that were kind of unpredictable. He kind of didn't, didn't know what he was going to say and what he was going to do. And I think sometimes that threw Bobby Heenan for a loop that he didn't quite know what Jameson was going to say. Obviously, Gorilla and him had a special chemistry, and he knew what Gorilla was going to say, and they played off each other well. And I think Bobby and Jameson played off each other so well, but it was almost the unpredictable factor. Bobby kind of didn't know what he was going to say or what he was going to do next. And, and obviously, Jameson probably thought the same thing about Bobby as well. But they did definitely have tremendous chemistry together. And if you think about Jameson, you always think like, oh, I think he was there longer. No, he, he had a short run in the WWF. It's just a part of that time period where it's so remembered fondly by the fans that, you know, you think the guy is there longer. He's there from basically 89 to 92-ish, um, ending with uh, managing the Bushwhackers and kind of doing that thing after being a part of the Bobby Heenan show, after being a part of primetime. So a lot of interesting stuff, a lot of cool behind the scene, excuse me, behind the scenes stories. I just absolutely love every part of it. We even get a little bit of an interesting story about the WCW as well. Yes, there was a rumor and he addresses those rumors because there's not really much of a rumor. If you listen to the interview that it actually is true, WCW was interested and you'll hear all about that story in the interview but chad if i could just want to mention the wwe network free month that is wwenetwork.com slash tmpt you get a free month of the wwe network and my wwenetwork.com recommendation is a part of the bobby heenan collection go to that bobby heenan collection on the network and go to the bobby heenan show and you will see the debut, if you will, of Jameson, and you get to see some great back and forth between Jameson and Bobby the Brain. So that is WBnetwork.com slash TMPT for your free month of the WWE Network. Yeah, all right. And, you know, you can't uh, you can't go wrong when you think about that time period, but we've been fooled before when it comes to thinking uh, a run was a lot longer than it actually was. And uh, if you think back to when we had Lanny Poffo on, I mean, we're sitting here thinking that it was like, uh, you know, lengthy, uh, lengthy run with him and Mr. Perfect because you sat there and you cherished those matches and those moments. And then when you think about it, it was only a couple months. You're like, Jesus Christ, like, where did that come from? But yeah, Jameson, you think he was like a, um, a staple there for many, many years, but it was only a smaller sample, especially when it came to him being a little bit more featured and uh, still always kind of scratch my head about that Bushwhacker pairing. But we'll hear all about that. In the interview, so we mentioned up the top here, we are brought to you by our good friends over at Figures Toy Company, and please support us with Figures Toy Company. Get on over there and check out the selection of the action figures they've got on the uh, the old roster of Figures Toy Company because it's growing, and you never know who they're going to sign next. Obviously, we've talked about it in great detail that the Francine figure is coming soon. There's also a Shane Strickland figure coming soon, a Joey Janela figure coming soon and uh, little birdie told me of another legend that will be headed there very soon so keep your eyes on that but we are giving away a tamatanga action figure from figures toy company as part of their rising stars professional wrestling line on the triple threat podcast twitter page so we're giving that away in two weeks and look for the tweet coming in the next few days as uh if you follow our page you follow figures toy company you will be entered to win 
the Tamatanga action figure, which could be one of the greatest ones I've ever seen in my life. So you want to take advantage of that, and you want to support both figures toy company, the two-man power trip, slash triple threat podcast, and uh, we appreciate that, and uh, everything, everybody's done, figures toy company, and the listeners as well. So with all that being said, John, why don't we do this? Why don't we get this show on the road, hit them with a little bit of two-man power trip of wrestling business, and let's get it on over to Jameson Winger. Now for some TMPT business. Like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at Two Man Power Trip and at Wrestling Pal. Please subscribe to us on YouTube. Also, subscribe to us on iTunes. Please leave us a review. We'd love to hear your feedback. Also, while on iTunes, check out the feed for prior legendary episodes featuring the living legend Bruno San Martino, the late great American Dream Dusty Rhodes, the Enforcer Arn Anderson, Ray Mysterio Jr. Glenn Kane, Jacobs, the phenomenal AJ Styles, lead WWE attorney Jerry McDivitt, and so many others. Also, while you're on the internet, check out ProWrestlingTees.com. Yes, that is ProWrestlingTees.com. They are your superstore for all your wrestling t-shirt needs. Check out our page. Check out Tito Santana, Coco Beware, Kevin Thorne, Magnum TA, and so many others. Also, while you're on the web, check out our website, tmptofwrestling.com. And for all you Android users, please hit us up on Google Play or Player FM. And all you iOS users, please check us out on TuneIn Radio, Automatic, Spotify, and now iHeartRadio. And now, without any further ado, he is an actor you may have seen in the theater, commercial, or television. He is a former WWF personality. He is Bobby Heenan's number one foil. He is Jameson Winger, a.k.a. John Giacomo. Enjoy. And now joining us on the line, he is a former WWF personality. He is currently an actor in theater, commercials, TV. He's got a lot of experience. He is real name Don, excuse me, John D. Giacomo, but we may know him as Jameson Winger. John, welcome to the two-man power trip of wrestling. Oh, thank you. It's good to be here. Now, obviously, we're talking to you today because of not – you know, more along the lines of the acting and the TV and the commercials and all that other stuff, but really for what you did in the WWF as Jameson Winger, that character that we saw basically from 89 to 92, and and he was just kind of gone just like that. So I kind of just want to start off, how did you actually get into the wrestling business, and how did you get into the world of the WWF, which was the biggest, and still is, biggest wrestling organization in the world? 
Well, it's um, it all happened. I was doing stand-up comedy. Friends of mine started this murder mystery company, like the audience participation deal where some of the scenes are scripted and some of them are improv where you interact with the audience. And Vince happened to come to one of the shows. And I, I recognized him immediately and kind of played to him um, just to have some fun. And he... I had him cracking up the whole night. I, he real, I know that he really enjoyed himself. And, um, you know, part of me was like, oh, I should go introduce myself. How great would it be to work for Vince? And nothing really happened in the introduction. You know, we, we, he told me great show and all that. But he was not standoffish, but a little bit uh, short. You know, he, he didn't – he just said great show, and, and I moved on. I'm not one of those uh, – pain in the neck kind of guys and but it did register with him because that was a Saturday night and that Monday WWF contacted the producers of that show how do we get in touch with the guy that played Jameson and they had me come in they were looking for somebody who could really hold their own um, improv wise with Bobby because they were looking for a co-host of the Bobby Heenan show and they had me come in in character you know, they told me, don't break character with Bobby. Play it like we want Bobby to think you really are this guy. And came in and we just, uh, you know, it took him a while to realize that I was just putting him on. And um, But it worked out great. We we had some great exchanges and they offered me a contract that day. And next thing I know, we're shooting um, the Bobby Heenan show. So that's how it all kind of got started. And I definitely do want to obviously talk about Bobby Heenan and the Bobby Heenan show, but what was it like with, with Vince? Cause everyone has their you know own kind of, you know, idea or they say, you know, what Vince is or what Vince is all about. What was your kind of impression of, of Vince well, McMahon? He, he, Vince, like I witnessed some stuff. I, I know that there, you know, people run hot and cold on Vince. Um, for me, the guy was nothing but, genuine and and very uh he just really appreciate he just thought i was the funniest thing going and and treated me as such you know he 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 was very generous with me he he um i know he's getting some negative feedback from some of his cronies his right hand men um some of the old school wrestling guys um, where, you know, this character doesn't really fit wrestling. and But he was very defensive of me and said, nah, you know. They, he always had something for me to do. Um, so as much as I know there are people out there that, and I, and I witnessed some of it where he just was, you know, a little hard on people. Um, for me, to me, he was a great guy. He was, like I said, just really generous and um Nothing, nothing bad to say about him as far as the treatment of me goes. So when you look at the Jameson character, the gimmick, the creation, if you will, so basically that is all you. That's not really Vince or Vince's input. That is you, the character. You created it, and you're the one who basically, you know, is the gimmick. Yeah, I mean, we, we wrote that character for this murder mystery. Um, I actually was one of the co-writers, but... Didn't, never envisioned me playing that part. Um, 
I just wasn't that type. You know, I was, uh, most of my acting work came as like, uh, you know, uh, mafia or like uh, Spanish gang leader. You know, it was, uh, I was a tough guy. I was, uh, uh, I was in really good shape and, and with the, being, uh, you know, a, a, a guy born and raised in New York, um, you know, I had that edge to me, but, you know how Jameson came about. I, I have no idea. They, we we wrote the show. There was the part that we wrote for me had to be cut, and the only character that still was not cast was Jameson. And they said, "Well, you're Jameson." And I said, "I can't. You know, we need an actor. We need somebody to come in here and really pull this guy off." And they said, "Just come to rehearsal." And and I did it. I, I grabbed a pair of glasses. I crossed my eyes, and next thing I know, I was Jameson. And and you know, he was the head of the show. He, I'm a, you know, my strength is improvisation, and that really helped me in these kind of shows. So, you know, it was easy for me to stand out when when these shows were going on. I write up in the local papers. We want to. We were on um, Fox. Fox had this at the time. This is the late '80s. Um, these improvisation shows were big. Where they started with Tony and Tina's Wedding. Um, that was a that was actually a a Broadway show, um, and they it, we they had this contest for the best murder mystery company in New York, and we won, and we did it on Fox Five, and um, and the character really grew out of that, and then Vince stepped in, and pretty much how everything happened. So you're basically there. Vince loves you. You're going to be on the Bobby Heenan show, basically the first guest, if you will, of the Bobby Heenan show. Lord Alfred Hayes gives you a great introduction. I believe he said something about NASA, rocket scientists, or you know the something about LaGuardia Airport. I mean, there were so many different stories to it. Were you told basically what was going to happen as you go out there, or Not they just a, kind of threw you out there? Nothing. No, we weren't told anything. It was great. It was. Uh, we didn't even know who the guests were. Um, so it was like totally, you know, fly by the seat of your pants kind of thing. And, and, uh, and you know, as much as Bobby and I were adversaries on camera, off camera, he was very supportive. He was uh, very appreciative of what I brought to the show and what I gave him to play off of. And um, it was a totally improvisational show. Um, and I wish it went on longer. You know, they, they uh, evidently Fox, I mean, um, USA, the USA Network, absolutely hated the show. And there was, you know, I heard that um, WWF never told USA that they were making that a, a, the last half hour prime time. The ratings were great, but they just uh, they just pulled the plug after four episodes. And that's how I wound up on primetime in the audience was Vince was like, you, you know, you, you got to keep you. We got to keep you. Just go sit there. We'll bring you into the show. And um, that's how that developed. Great stuff with you in the crowd with Vince and the brain. But I just kind of want to just rewind for a second. So they don't really give you a script. They kind of throw you out there. Is that nerve wracking for you at all? You know, it's going to be a strong ratings. Like you said, it's going to be a big show on USA. You're in there with, with Heenan. They threw Alfred Hayes mixed in. Is that any pressure at all on you or no? You're not really. I mean, because, I, you know, keep in mind, I'm doing these murder mysteries on weekends. Um, 
we're doing three shows a weekend. Um, you know, it's just like you get into that frame of mind, you go into a zone where you're totally just reacting. And, you know, I, I think, and I was very new at acting, uh, you know, like I had not yet really done any other act. That was like my first acting job. I was doing stand up, but I, I found later on when I was starting to book work as an actor, that was a little more intimidating because you had to memorize lines and you had to, you know, uh, you're in a competitive situation and all this. The, the stuff at WWF was pretty easy. I, I didn't spend much time preparing or, like, I'd stuff my pockets with interesting things just to pull out during, uh, you know, the tapings. But there wasn't a lot of, uh, it was really a low-pressure, fun kind of thing. It was a great way to start an acting career um, because it was such a low-pressure situation. That is very cool that they, because nowadays, I mean, it's like overly scripted. Everything the guys say, they almost sound like a robot. So that's pretty cool to hear that you guys were kind of given free reign and there wasn't a yeah. set script. And there was put... some great, there was some really talented guys at that time. I mean, I've watched a little bit here and there in the last few years, but, um, excuse me, um, like Mr. Perfect. He was great on his feet. I mean, he was a really funny guy. He was um, he was a great improv guy. I'm, uh, Piper. Um, and some of the guys needed to be helped along. Great at it. Bobby recognized what guys were needed a little help in interviews and stuff like that. And, and uh, you know, but there were guys that then there were some great personalities that just macho man and... Um, he was funny. He was a funny guy. Um, and you know who was great that, you know, people name all the top wrestlers and all that, but somebody who doesn't get as much credit as he deserves as being just a, just a really great character was Ted DiBiase. Million Dollar Man was just, he was such a pro. He was, he could sell anything, that guy. He was just a, and a nice guy off camera, a real sweetheart. So many great guys, so many larger-than-life guys, so many guys that were just, you know, had that charisma, had that it factor. They were so great. I feel like Bobby Heenan and you, for instance, were just like the perfect foil for one another. It was great. He's kind of that ultimate, you know, smart-ass bad guy. And you kind of, and, and I don't know if this was maybe said to you to do, but you kind of played it off perfectly where you didn't go over the top with it. You almost you almost gave him like one-liners. Am I right on that? Well, yeah, I mean, you know, I was, um, I recognized early on that um, Bobby was kind of the star of just about every program, whether it was, um, you know, the Saturday show or the, like, he was the guy. And you're going to, the best you're going to do with Bobby was um, make Bobby look good. Although he didn't need a lot of help. I mean, he was a funny guy. And I just, you know, I played that. I played that I'm the nerd, I'm the, you know, I'm the, I'm the loser, and be a loser. And uh, every once in a while I got him a, you know, I became a good singer. And there were so many times that we would have to, they would cut something because I cracked him up and, you know, obviously that would not go over. So, uh, you know, there were plenty of times where I broke him up and, um, 
we would have to, you know, start over and, and uh, for the tapings, you know. That is great because he's got to be a hard guy to break. He's usually the guy that makes other people laugh and break. Yeah, there's a couple of episodes of primetime um, where you could see he, he's like, you know, like holding back a laugh um, with when we're, you know, uh, when we're carrying on. But, you know, I remember like Macho Man's Bachelor Party on primetime. It was such a great time and, and – there were a couple of times during that taping that we had to stop and cause I got kind of crazy and, um, you know, just kind of like not, not being consistent with the character and, um, but I just had Bobby rolling. It was, it was really, not, I mean, it was such a great format for a guy like me, um, to just, you know, have fun and, and, uh, and not worry too much because they, they, it was so much tape, and, and so many times Bobby and I nailed something on the first take. We 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 always were sh- we would always shoot those shows in less time than what they expected because you know the, generally the first take they would just all right we got it we got what we need go next. Um, so it was good. I mean I'm sounding a little egotistical here, but you know I I think that was. You look about, you think about the character and how he's so not a physical kind of wrestling kind of guy, but he did have some success because, you know, Bobby liked working with me, and, and I think I brought out the best in Bobby, a, a lot like Gorilla did in a different way. For sure, and it's great that when Bobby likes you and you're able to have that chemistry, what you see on screen is just gold. I mean, just, you guys were great together. I would always laugh. You know, he would make fun of you saying like your parents ran, ran away from you when you were a kid, like, you know, like the opposite of what you would think, like just funny stuff like that. Did he ever kind of break you at all and crack you up with some of like those funny one liners? All the time. But you know, like I would try to, you know, make it work with the, you know, with the, uh, in sequence, like like without them having to cut and start up again, like I would, he would crack me up and I would start yelling at him or something just to cover up that what he was doing. I mean, that those first few weeks on that Bobby Union show, um, we both you know, we both made each other laugh and we had a lot of fun during the commercial breaks and had no idea who the next guest was going to be, so. You know, and I think they did that purposely, you know, just to see what happened. And then, you know, they had so many, they could always retake it. Like, just to give you an example, let's say one of the guests was a 10-minute sequence. We might shoot 20 minutes and they added the best 10. Um, So there was room to, uh, you know, back up and and do something. But we, they almost... It almost never happened that way. It always just seemed to, like the one with the stripper, not the stripper, the the porn star. I don't know if you remember any of the episodes, but there was this legit porn star, Heather Hunter, her name was. Mm, Um, Yep. It was such a funny sequence that whenever we would break the commercial, that's where we would do our laughing. You know, Um, he was a pro. He... He, Bobby was just, he was a pro. 
And occasionally he would repeat himself, and I would have to tell him he repeated himself. Like I said, he used that joke last week. And that, and then they would <laughs> reshoot that sequence or something. But it was great. I mean, you know, it was – I unfortunately for me, because it was my first acting job, I didn't appreciate what I had um, until years later. Um, you know, years after I was out of WWF, just what a great um, gig that was and how great wrestling fans in this country are. I, I left there not realizing how, how many fans there were of Jameson in the country. And, and I moved on from WWF and had a, a fairly successful acting and writing career. Um, never really thinking that anybody would ever remember Jameson. And it wasn't until I was out of there like 20 years, I mean, literally 20 years before somebody found me um, and said, hey, you know, there's stuff all about who is James, who's the actor that played Jameson. You need to take credit for that. And there are people that want to, you know, friend you on Facebook. And I had no Facebook page then or, or anything. I was just... Uh, in my own world, really. I, I, I didn't realize till, which is sad for me because I didn't, en- I didn't enjoy my years there like I should have because I didn't realize just how many people I was reaching and touching um, until many years later. It is crazy that these wrestling fans, they have such a long memory. They'll remember, you know, the good times. Obviously, WWF was like kind of on, on a bit of a roll at, at this point but they always remember those classic characters and they remember the little feud that like you and Bobby had that, that little feud and that great chemistry. So that's something fans truly never forget. It's pretty cool. Oh my God. I get messages all the time and I get calls to do interviews and to go do signings. And, and it just, I'm so amazed at how many people, like people come up to me and say, I remember when you did this and I don't even remember doing that. <laughs> um, so it is crazy that these fans, I mean, they're so loyal to wrestling. They love wrestling. They remember all the characters. But what happened, obviously, you know, primetime kind of ends. So what happens with you? You basically become the Bushwhackers manager with Luke and Butch. Is that something that you kind of were for or you were against that part? Uh, you know, at that point in time, um, you know, there was uh, – the WWF was under a lot of duress when they made the decision to end prime time. Um, and I think it was a cost-saving measure. Um, Raw became just, everything was shot at the arena as opposed to the studio. And for me, being a New York actor, the, the, the gig, the prime time gig was so perfect because I would go to Stanford, Connecticut uh, every third Monday and shoot everything for three weeks, shoot three weeks at a time. So it was, it was good money. It was one day of work every three weeks. I could, you know, take other acting jobs and it was perfect. But when they went to raw, the format changed to raw. I was having to go on the road every three weeks and it was not good with me. So, um, I loved, I loved working with the bushwhackers. I loved the fact that, even after everything became, everybody became a wrestling character and that Vince still wanted me to 
be a part of it. You know, I really appreciated that, but it wasn't it wasn't a good it wasn't good for my career in terms of I had to make a decision whether I'm just going to be Jameson or I'm going to be an actor um, and do other things. So, um, you know, it was it was fun while it lasted, but it was I I think the the uh, I think my getting out of my contract was a relief to both me and the WWF. If you get where I'm coming from. Yes, and I definitely want to touch back on that just in one second. I just wanted to ask uh, about the Bushwhackers first. That pairing is very interesting, but you did take some bumps and stuff too. So are you trained at all? Like were you actually trained to take bumps and stuff like that? I boxed a little bit. I wrestled a little bit. I did a little gymnastics. So I was, you know, I encouraged, like, whoever I was working with to hit me, throw me, you know, make it look real. I don't want to. You know, I wanted to look good. I'll, I'll take the hit, and like, when, and and it really was really minor. I mean, I would say that um, Sensational Sherry beat the shit out of me on an <laughs> episode of Prime Time. I mean, she was pulling my hair and you know, like dragging me around by my jacket. I mean, it was it was that was the best one. But there was a, a moment with the Berserker where. I don't know if you remember the episode where they tied me up and he threw me off the roof, but as he's carrying me off out of the studio, he dropped me on my head. So, like, that was... And Lanny, uh, you know, uh, the genius there, he smacked me, for real. I mean, I, he cut the inside of my mouth. Um, but it was okay. I was good with it. You know, I was a bit of a, a tough guy and, um, you know, wanted the the scars and... Um, you know, but it was, uh, it was really minor stuff. There's only a couple of times where I really took a shot. Did the locker room truly accept Jameson at at this point? No, not everyone. Not everyone. I would say for the most part, yes. Um, the overwhelming percentage was, you know, appreciated me. Um, and so many guys, I would be in the locker room. And they didn't even know who I was. They probably thought I was a jobber or something because or, I was, you know, in really good shape. And then, you know, some guys, when they put two and two together, that, holy shit, that was you? Oh, my God. Like, like I had a moment with Mr. Perfect where he was like, I can't believe. And, and uh, Sarge. And like, there were a few guys that were really, I can't believe you're the same guy. I mean, I didn't wear a mask or makeup or anything like that. I slicked my hair back. I changed my posture. I wore that goofy suit. And I would finish a show, you know, finish my bit, go take a shower and come out in the audience and not one person, I never got recognized as Jameson going into my, you know, regular street clothes, which is kind of weird. Yeah, that's great because even if, I guess if you really look at it, it's like, man, you do look different, but there's no makeup or mask or anything to kind of tell the difference. Yeah, and it's like Superman. Yeah. Yep, that you can kind of hide amongst the people and, let's say, go through an airport and, and not get noticed or bothered by the fans. The only time, I swear to God, there were two times in my whole three years there that anybody ever recognized me out of gimmick. And that was once at Yankee Stadium. I don't know how this woman recognized me. 
And there was once we were pulling up to a venue. I think it was Albany, Knickerbocker Arena. I think it was Royal Rumble, um, where the, one of the parking attendants recognized me. But I never, ever got recognized. And I'm telling you, I would be in the arena in street clothes after having done my bit with the bushwhackers, and not one person ever recognized me. <laughs> that is pretty – it's kind of cool in, in a way, you know, not to get recognized like that. That's kind of a, you know, a little bit of mystery there. It's like, who is that guy? But I wouldn't, like, be like, who is that guy? I'd be more like, I look like a wrestling fan. Mm, true. Yep. So you said at one point a few minutes ago about the contract, and they were happy, and you were happy. What do you What do you mean by that? That they they kind of didn't have anything else for you, or what? What was the reasoning? Well, I think uh, Vince was under a lot of pressure from, you know, the, the the old school. Vince surrounded himself with a lot of his dad's people um, in those days, in terms of. You know, Vince hadn't had, when I got there, Vince, I guess, had the company maybe six or seven years. And there were some guys that were matchmakers and um, basically they were writers without writing any dialogue. They were storyline guys and, you know, putting together who should fight who. And and like like Pat Patterson had absolutely no use for me. and Pat was usually the guy that everybody went to to say, what am I doing today? Or what am I doing tomorrow? And Pat would never even want, he, Pat would be just, just go talk to Vince. Like he was not a fan. Um, so I think that, especially with everything else that was going on at that time, the steroid scandal and the, the expose in Playboy magazine um, about the, you know, all the sex stuff and, um, I, I think it was it was kind of like when I approached Vince, he was like, yeah, I'm good with that. Um, because he was taking some heat from the guys that worked for him that were, you know, there were there were a number of guys. Um, and this is the only one I knew for sure that was just anti-Jameson was Pat. Um, but, you know, he had guys work for him that just thought that Jameson was not meant to be in a wrestling ring. Um, and I was good with that. I, I get that. I guess it's understandable that kind of old school feeling, but, uh, you know, with what you were able to do there, especially with Bobby, I feel like maybe they were kind of um, not paying as close enough attention to how the character was getting over as they should. But you said you were kind of happy to go. Was, does that mean you know, you weren't going to miss any audition, stuff like that. Now you were kind of free to right, do whatever. Right. In other job. words, those, I did like three tours and the writing was on the wall. Like my, my, my feeling was, um, I'm working a week a month and I'm, I could be doing so much other acting. See, you got to realize, like I didn't realize the impact Jameson had on, wrestling fans. I, you know, I had a, there was somebody started a fan club and I got fan mail and I always got a, a warm reception from the crowd and everything, but I was not a huge wrestling fan as a kid. I mean, I watched, No Mascaris was my hero. Um, that's really going back. Um, 
but it wasn't like I was. And here's where some of the resentment came from. These guys were killing themselves, going to wrestling school and trying. Ninety-eight percent of the wrestling talent was there because they loved wrestling. And I was there because I was an actor and it was a good gig. And that's where I think some of the resentment came from, from the old school guys. Um, because I would show up on a commercial or I would, you know, I mean, I was not, I didn't, I was, and I wasn't paying the, the I was looking at it at the time as an acting gig and not as a wrestling no personality. So there was a conflict there. I could definitely, definitely see that. And you said some people were happy to see you go, different things like that. But there is a rumor that when you did leave at some point that WCW reached out to you and that they wanted to basically make you an offer to go there. Is that rumor true? Well, I think it was just a just blanket you know, they, everybody, I mean, there was such a, a feud in those days between Vince and Ted Turner. And I think they just, um, they just reached out to me just because they reached out to everybody that ha- was on the contract with WWF. And, um, but that was like a no brainer for me it was like, you know, I was looking to get out with the studio in, in Stanford, I'm not relocating to Atlanta to go do promos. And, you know, it was not even a consideration for me. It was just, nah, nah I'm not doing that. Do you remember who reached out to you from WCW or so long ago? I don't, I don't, I don't. It's interesting, you know, all the, the wars and stuff between WCW and WWF. Never quite really knew until, obviously, asking now if that story was true. So they literally, they would take anybody from the WWF. I mean, they they wanted to kind of hurt them by any oh, name that made their name big, WWF. Look, you know, you're talking about a guy who had unlimited financial resources that was, you know, just like, you know, the best thing that ever happened to Ted Turner was the steroid scandal at the WWF. Um, and everybody went, I mean, like they went in droves. And at that time I was already gone. Um, but then I heard like the few people I kept in touch with, like, like when, when, when Bobby left, I was like, Oh my God, things are really, you know, not good. Yeah, Hogan, me, and it kind of ushered in a new era because you know, for me, there was no better time than those early late '80s, early '90s. Everybody had a great gimmick. I mean, everybody had a gimmick. There was, I think, you know, Bret Hart maybe was the only popular guy that didn't have a gimmick. Um, Well. You know Hulk Hogan, but he 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 really had a gimmick. I mean, Macho Man had a gimmick. Um, every I mean, they had every they had one of everything. You know, you talk about the, a Canadian Mountie, a British Bulldog. Or a, they had a cop, Big Boss Man. They had an Indian. They had a cowboy. They had a they had a guy from the freaking Bayou, Skinner. Um, like everybody had something that went along. IRS. I mean, 
it was like just a great time. Like for me, as a fan or as a marginal fan, there was, you know, it was so interesting, you know, who's going to win a Mountie, Canadian Mountie or the American top big boss man. Like, you know, it's like, there were just like natural rivalries that came out of gimmicks. And, and like, you don't really have that today. Everybody, you know, most of the guys go by their own names and they, you know, what's their gimmick? Um, it's just a different, a different, uh, I think that was the end of such a great era in professional wrestling. Um, when, when, yeah, because a lot of guys didn't come back. That's for sure. That is the golden came era. Back I mean, as themselves. Sure. They came back as themselves or as a different gimmick. Or, um, but you had the Russian and the Iranian. and the, It was just great. It was like great entertainment those years. Many consider it to be the golden era of wrestling, that late 80s, early 90s boom period. It was just a, it was a, a better time after the business, but you know, yeah, I mean, of, Vince was on a roll. I mean, he took yep. over and built it to that point and then got smacked in the face. And I don't think it's ever gotten back to that point. Definitely not. I mean, financially they're doing well, but ratings and everything oh, they're else doing great. are down. I mean, financially, I, I'm not even talking about that. I'm talking about the product itself. Yeah. The like, product itself is definitely, you know, down. I mean, who's, uh, they were just such great, um, just great matchups. I mean, it just, and then a couple guys started, and when they started all dying, it was like, that really was, you know, I think Owen, Death, and Texas Tornado, and, and um, I don't know, it just, or it seemed to all coincide with all the bad shit that was happening. Um, but who knows? Who knows? Now, you know, we're talking about the golden era of, of wrestling, obviously the late 80s, early 90s. It's kind of why they are able to make so much money they are today because of that era, really, of, of the business. But, you know, do you watch any current wrestling at all? Are you into it? Do you yeah, still like every it? Every once in a while, you know, I'm a, I'm a channel changer. Basically, I'm a, I'm a sports fanatic, and, and I'll flip, and I'll watch, and... My son, who's, you know, uh, had an amazing acting career, um, and, and he's still a baby, he's 13, and he's, he's done more in his short life than I did in my whole adult life as an actor. Um, he actually did a gig um, for the WWE, um, a few years ago where he played uh, Little Johnny at Extreme Rules in Jersey um, where he was involved in the Wyatt Brothers against John Cena, the Steel Cage match. And he met so many people that night. Now, he did this very famous football commercial shortly before that where it went, I mean, it's got like 2 million hits on YouTube, this commercial. And people, word started getting around in the green room that that's the kid from the Cam Newton commercial. And people, wrestlers were coming up to him. Can I take a picture with him? And, and like, so 
there, that kind of started me like what? Like the Bella Twins, they, I mean, they were all over him because evidently they're football fans and they knew the commercial and they took pictures with him. And so that kind of, you know, made me watch a little more. And then, um, but it's just, it, you know, it's different. It's, I don't, I don't I'm, I'm not quite sure what it is. Like I watch a ton of UFC. Love that stuff. But, you know, I don't know, not quite sure. With the wrestling, like, you know, uh, what's her name from UFC that went to... Ronda Rousey. W- yeah. And and what's his name? <laughs> the big guy. Like, it's just like, it just, to me, the, 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 the product has changed so dramatically that I can't stay tuned for very long um, because you don't have the, the, the and, and one of the great things that always intrigued me about wrestling was the comedy part of it and the commentators, the funny and even the wrestlers when in their interviews and stuff were funny and, and the comedy's gone um, so to take it so I'm not quite sure when I'm watching it what I'm watching in terms of is it a sport? Is it a um, what is it? You know, um, what I know that in the early '90s it was entertainment and it was good entertainment, and I'm not entertained anymore. So, um, you know, I mean, the the bit my son did like. I like I like Cena. If I'm flipping and Cena's on, I like watching him. I I think he's uh, he's great for the for the sport. I think um, certain guys are very watchable, but certain guys aren't. And um, I just you know I haven't been drawn to it unless I'm flipping and I see I'll, I'll watch for a few minutes and sometimes I watch even longer, and sometimes I just flip the channel because it's just not... No, I, I'm spoiled. I, I, I remember Hulk and Ted and Macho Man, and they always, you know, they always kept my interest. And I don't know if it was because I knew them, and that might very well be why, um, but it just, you know, for me, it's just not the product it was 20 years ago. 25 years ago. It definitely isn't. And I'm a, you know, an old school fan. And I'm definitely not really as into current wrestling, but you did mention that extreme rules and him being little Johnny, which is pretty cool. And obviously he's been doing a lot of good stuff in acting, but did everyone recognize you say, Oh my God, that's James' son. Nobody. And the funniest thing was, well, nobody, you know, everybody that was there was probably some of them weren't even born. And some of them were in diapers and some of them were, um, nobody recognized. The funniest thing was, see, he booked this through his agency. Um, I had nothing to do with him getting this gig. We were actually leaving. This was a Sunday night gig. Um, we were leaving Monday morning to go to L.A. He was working in L.A. for the next three weeks. And um, WWF that Friday called his agent because uh, they work with his agency. They said, we need... 10-year-old boy um, for 
pay-per-view event on Sunday. So we were there for a phone call, and, you know, me having been at the WWF, I was like, wow, this would be great to do, James. But we, those shows always run really late. we got to be on a plane at 8.30 the next morning. And he was like, Dad, please let me do this. Um, so we did it. And so we get there, and nobody knew it was me. I mean, nobody – I mean, you got to realize, when I was working, half the people there didn't know it was me. Um, <laughs> so – we get there and they're explaining to us what the gig is. And I'm thinking we're going to go shoot a promo or something. I had no idea this until we got there that James is going to be involved in the featured match with Cena and the Wyatt brothers. And so Vince comes over and he, he gets down on one knee in front of my son and says, hi, uh, my name is Vince McMahon. And, Here's what we want you to do. You're going to be under the mat, blah, 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 blah. And then he gets all done explaining it to him, and he looks up at me because he's down on his knee, and he goes, uh, you must be his dad? And I said, yeah. And he stands up like, oh, Vince, you don't recognize me, do you? And he goes, you do look familiar. And I made the Jameson face, and he almost fell. <laughs> he gave me the biggest bear hug. I said, oh, my God, you got to go see Kevin. is in the truck. Kevin was the producer and the, was one of the writers at the time I was there, and now is a big, a big shot there. And, Kevin Dunn. Uh, he was just so excited. Kevin Dunn. You know who that is? Yep. Oh, yeah. 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 He was one of the – in fact, he was like an assistant writer when I started. And the head writer, which was the biggest loss the WWE ever experienced, was when the head writer, this guy Michael Feinberg, Feinstein Feinberg, when he left, the storylines just weren't the same for, for prime time and, you know, all the side stuff going on. This guy was a genius. But, but Kevin was good. He came through when, when they needed him to, and, and now he's a big he's a big wig. Yeah, he's like the head of television um, for them. Um, but that was a funny, a funny night. Um, it was amazing the amount of attention – my son got from wrestlers when they found out he was the kid from the Cam Newton commercial for the NFL. Um, Cause that's what really jump started his career. Now he's like, he's shooting a movie a month, these next few months. And he was, he just finished playing Kevin James son for two years on Kevin can wait. Um, big, big, big stuff. This kid is doing. He's more interesting than I am. Believe me. <laughs> he He's does stand-up so comedy stuff. I swear to you He does stand-up comedy In comedy clubs In New York, in Long Island, Jersey um, With adults, no kids He's 13 He's been doing it since wow. he was 9 Wow, yeah. amazing he, he, for 10 minutes Rips his mother and his father That's what he does <laughs> I just love the and fact course, that and of I course, I write all his material. So you know. Oh, you're you're writing for him. I write, yeah, I write all his his stuff. I had a pretty decent career going as a writer um, after WWF. I wrote a play that went off Broadway in the nineties. Wrote a couple of one acts that won film uh, that won uh, one act festivals and and stuff. And I wrote for comedians and. Um, 
yeah, it was uh, the nineties were good. Did you ever think about writing for the WWF? Um, you you know, not really. I never really thought about writing for them, but I did when uh, the Royal Rumble. I was looking for any way to not have to travel, but when the Royal Rumble ended, um, I I shot this very raw video um, for a storyline that I thought WWE would be interested in, WWF, WWE. Um, that's hilarious. It's the funniest stuff Jameson has ever done on camera. It, like this 10-minute short film of Jameson going to the gym to take revenge on the genius. And I found it. I have it. It's, it's, it's on VHS. It's fucking hilarious. Uh, it's literally the funniest footage, funnier than anything WWF ever aired um, of Jameson. And I shot it not for any other reason than to give it to them to say, here, look at what we can do for your next, for Jameson's next ride. And it was to get me off the road. It was something that could be shot locally and, um, and set up a big match ultimately between Jameson and the genius. And it's, it's great. I have it. No one's ever seen it except some close friends. Um, and I'm thinking about what I should do with it because I know, you know, that there's still Jameson people out there that would, would love to see this thing. Uh, I'm, uh, I'm itching to get it out there. That is gold. You got gold right it's, there, especially now right, the 14th. Right, Absolutely. To see that, yeah, that that is a uh, that's awesome. And I was going to say, come on uh, over. I all right. still have a VCR. <laughs> oh, nice. You're you're one of the few. <laughs> yeah. I, I was going to say VCR just for this tape. Wow, it's pretty amazing. I was going to say I used to um, transfer. I have a VCR DVD recorder. I used to transfer all my WBF and WCW VHS. Really? To uh, DVD. Oh, yeah. I got to get this on digital to get it on, yes. you know, to be able to um, air it like on YouTube or something. I don't know what I'm going to do with it. Yeah, oh, there will definitely, definitely be people interested in that. I know uh, anything of that it's era. It's really funny because he shows, up, he shows up to the gym in his suit, you know, the same suit that he wore on the – and uh, he's broke, so he – they offer him a, a training partner, like, you know, a, a trainer, and he, he doesn't have the money for it. So he goes about all the equipment, not knowing what, how to use stuff. And it's really, well, for such a role, we shot it on, like, with a, a home movie camera, um, you know, like Super 8 on film, on, you know, like uh, film. Pretty cool. I mean, I mean, I never even yeah. heard of it. So, I mean, that's, that's definitely something that's got uh, my attention for sure. Yeah, but it's like Jameson, the lost tapes. I love it. <laughs> I love any any old school stuff, especially stuff that I've never seen or, or even heard of. I mean, that's the stuff that, and I know there's a ton of old school fans like me out there that feel the same way. So that's definitely definitely something uh, I'm definitely going to earmark you and, and get back to you on because that is some cool stuff. Yeah, like, uh, think about it. Think about what I should do with this thing. Absolutely. I, I hate to keep it hidden all these years. We shot this in, like, I'm guessing, 
I always forget what Royal Rumble I was in with the Bushwhackers, whether it was 91 or 92, but shortly thereafter, because my contract terminated after the Royal Rumble, and then... Yeah, in 90, so 92. Yep. 92, Because, yep. like, I was looking for ways to, to not have to travel and still be involved. And I did give it to Kevin to watch. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> he, he probably has it somewhere. <laughs> no, I don't think so. I don't think so. I have. No, I still have the original. You know, when they when we when we uh, change, reformatted it from 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 like film to VHS. I have that original tape. I don't. I don't think. Uh, yeah. No, he would have. used it already. This is like twenty five years ago. I love it. It's definitely gold. But as we start to wind it down a bit here, I just have to ask because you were part of some. Really great stuff up there. Very fun stuff. Obviously, a lot of it with Bobby the Brain Heenan. But do you have a favorite memory or favorite angle that you guys say that really, really sticks out? You know, nothing that we said well, before, but something that sticks out I, for you? I, I think maybe my favorite moment was when I was doing primetime and the, the berserker threw me off the roof because they kept it going for a couple of weeks. Um, that storyline of him, uh, you know, I was in the hospital. They brought me out on a gurney the next week. They showed my chair, my usual chair in the audience had a gold ribbon on it. You know, it was, and it was funny. And I had some great improv moments. I always get, uh, there's a couple of people out there that always send me my favorite line. They'll say my favorite line from Jameson was, when Mean Gene was interviewing me when I got out of the hospital, and he says, you okay, Jameson? And I said, yeah, I had some internal injuries. They, they had to take a piece of my colon out. Now I have a semicolon. And <laughs> that was the kind of stuff that, um, you know, I think that Vince said, oh, we got to keep this guy. He's getting so many gold, so many gold nuggets come out of his mouth. And, and uh, for for my top moment there, my most memorable was that two or three week period where they, you know, they kept that story alive when the Berserker and Mr. Fuji threw me off the roof. I'd love to see that footage again, the whole the whole thing. I mean, they have on YouTube somebody posted the actual throwing me off the roof, and it looks great. I mean, it looks so good. But I don't. I've never seen since then. I probably have those tapes somewhere because they would they would always send me the the VHS tape of the episode of the entire episode that we shot. So I gotta I gotta I gotta go through my uh, my my all my tapes to try to find that. That that was probably my favorite. And when you close the door on Jameson and people look back and, and, you know, you had a pretty good run in the WWF, obviously, basically 89 to 92. What do you say would be like the lasting legacy or the stamp of that Jameson character? Because it's much more than just like the little nerd, awkward character. There's a little bit more to it, especially with Bobby the Brain. So what would you say is like the, the stamp of that, the character left behind? 
That's a great question. Um, well, I, you know, he was feisty. He uh, as much he, he was a coward, but his initial reaction was to to uh, you know uh, lunge out at whoever was being mean to him until that person got in his face and then he would cower. Um, and I cursed a lot. But, of course, those moments were always cut. And, um, but I, I would say that, um, hmm, I would say that from a good part of the wrestling talent that my sense of humor was appreciated and that just the fact that in real life I was nothing like that character made everybody say, this guy is some actor. Um, and some big people. Hook, I mean, Hook really appreciated me. He, I saw him at WrestleMania when they did it at Jersey. Um, and he was very much pro Jameson, like in terms of that tour to Japan, he was, he was headlining the tour to Japan. And he said, you know, I want you there. I want, I really want you to, um, so I think maybe the biggest, probably the biggest wrestling superstar that ever lived, um, being in my corner is another big highlight for me. And, um, and another one that's like on a, on a smaller scale, but the Bushwhackers were always so good to me. And I don't know if they were happy or not that Vince teamed me up with them. You know what I mean? And like the fact that they never, you know, showed their hand if they weren't, if they were like, you know, privately saying, what the fuck are we doing with this guy? Um, <laughs> but they, they they made it work, you know. Like, I don't think anybody wanted to be matched with Jameson. But if you're going to match Jameson with somebody, it's going to be like, uh, you know, it's going to be somebody like as nutty as the Bushwhackers. Um, but they were such gentlemen, and they were so, you know, they always made me feel good. And I, even when... And, and I was not always sure that they were, like, I would always feel bad, like, I'm sorry, guys, like, I'm sorry you're stuck with me. And, you know, I, I was just at a, coming from it at a different angle and, um, and all that. And I think that, you know, the other thing is, again, the whole physical part of it, that there were guys that really appreciated, like Ted and Sensational Sherry, who was probably my best friend when we were traveling, um, appreciated that as an actor, a non-wrestler, a person that never went to wrestling school, never learned how to fall, never learned how to, that I was very, always encouraging the guys to, to hit me and throw me and do whatever you got to do to make it look real. Awesome stuff, and this has been a tremendous trip down memory lane. So just one last yeah. question. Is, is where can the fans, if they want to reach you, do you have any plugs or anything? Is that something, you know, you want to put out there? Is there place where you know they can i'm on facebook under john 
Jameson DiGiacomo. Um, DiGiacomo is D-I-G. If you put John Jameson in there, it'll probably flip up, but if you've got to keep going to find it, it's D-I-G-I-A-C-O-M-O. And, you know, um, really, my, all my efforts these days, every once in a while I'll go do a signing or um, do a podcast or um, all that, but all my efforts these days are put into my son's acting career. And this kid is doing some really big things for a 13-year-old. Um, you could like his page, which is James Anthony Giacomo. This kid is, I mean, he's had two award-winning commercials out of about 30, 35 national commercials that he's done. He's um, four award-winning films, um, and, you know, what's a better job for for an 11-year-old than playing Kevin James' son? Um, and he's got other stuff, other films coming up. One big one in the spring that I can't really talk about, but um, I'll get it out there on Facebook when when we're allowed to make the announcement. I love it. He's making a pretty big impression out there on the acting world. That is, that's for sure. Yeah, it's crazy, crazy. I don't know of another actor, dead or alive, that had the career that he's had from age seven to age 13. And, you know, I mean, some great child actors, like I think of Ron Howard, but he was basically Opie. Um, This kid has done, I mean, his resume is absolutely, he's got a reality show coming out in the spring. Um, It's just amazing. It's just amazing what this kid has done too. I mean, two award-winning commercials that that are just... If any of you uh, have never seen the camp, just Google Cam Newton Play 60. Cam Newton Play 60. And you'll, you'll say, oh, I remember this commercial. The kid at seven just crushed it. it the NFL came out and said it's the, the best commercial we've done since the Mean Joe Green commercial. Um, and he was interviewed by ESPN after that commercial and NBC Sports, and um, just good stuff. He's a talented kid, way more talented than me. Awesome, awesome stuff. Uh, Appreciate all the time you gave to us. Obviously, good luck to you, but good luck to him as well because he seems like he's well on his way to becoming an even bigger star if that's possible. Yeah, John, thanks, buddy. You're a great interviewer. I, I, I really enjoyed the hour. Thanks for listening to the two-man power trip of wrestling, What the World is Downloading.